Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and I'm flying solo as host today because we have two great guests coming on. And for that reason, I will not be doing a lot of talking at the top of the show because there's no need to delay the good stuff. So I'll just tell you what's coming and we'll get to it. We are joined today by USC cornerbacks coach, associate head coach, and ace recruiter, Dante Williams, to reflect on the 2021 recruiting cycle, USC's number eight ranked recruiting class, some of the memorable twists and turns along the way, some good stories about Corey Foreman's recruitment, uh, Prophet Brown, Rajon Davis, and others, uh, insight on that great defensive back class that Trojans bring in, and just a, a wide range of, of topics. Really great conversation with Dante. And then to stay on that theme, we bring in Rivals recruiting analyst Adam Gorney into the show to give his final perspective and help close the book on this 2021 recruiting cycle. Some big picture analysis and always great insights. And then we'll kind of look ahead and set the stage for 2022. So with that, there's no reason to delay. Let's just do it. Let's get this show started. Okay, huge guests into the Trojan Talk podcast. We are joined by USC cornerbacks coach and now associate head coach, Dante Williams. Dante, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Thank you for having me. You know, like always, fight on, and I'm happy to be here. This is your first appearance on the Trojan Talk podcast, so the way it works is you recruit a great class, you get a promotion and title, and then we invite you on finally. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's better late than never, so... I'm just, I'm happy just to be here, so it's okay. <laughs> right. I want to get into this great 2021 recruiting class, and obviously your fingerprints are all over that. But first, let me go back. It's been a year now since you joined USC, coming over from Oregon, and I want to reflect on that decision you made and, and, and really how USC was able to convince you to make that move, to leave a place where you had stability for a place that really had a lot of uncertainty going on and didn't have much buzz on the recruiting front before you came how did they sell you on being a part of this uh, i mean well it wasn't that hard of a sell i mean to be honest you know i have family here and i know my dad was going through some things and he's still going through those things so that that made it extremely you know like a good decision i know a lot of people in the building as far as you know friends from gavin to different guys here you know michael hutch and you know different people that i had in the, in the basically the building that were friends and then at the same time you know, working with Coach Hilton is phenomenal, amazing guy. And then, you know, Todd Orlando constantly talked to me and was recruiting me. So, you know, I definitely felt the want and the need to be here. And, I mean, I have I grew up in L.A. So when you grow up in L.A., USC is everything. And, you know, there's no other place in the world that I feel can match, you know, a school that USC has everything to provide, whether it's the academics, whether it's the city, whether it's the tradition. And, I mean, to be honest, like you you see right now, you definitely can recruit a great class here and you can be, do it consistently. So I saw all the things here to basically come here and, and I mean, you could be a winner here. So, I mean, it's a great place and, you know, we're looking forward to some of the things that we're going to do here. I mentioned the associate head coach title, which was added last month. What does that mean to you and, and how does it change your role in any way during practice, during the offseason? What's different with that title now? Um, I mean, it means a lot to me. It definitely shows uh, career advancement. It shows that, you know, pretty much if you do the job that is set forth to you here, that, you know, Coach Helton, 
you know, Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna, you know, you see those guys and they're, they're able to reward you here. So, you know, a lot of a lot of coaches nowadays, you, you want to go to the right atmosphere to where if you do your job to the best of your abilities, that you're able to get rewarded for that. And here, you know, this is one of those places that the powers that may be, if they see that you're doing the job that you're capable of doing, they will definitely reward you. So, I mean, in that standpoint, it meant a lot to me. Uh, and just going forward, you know, I think it just provides me with, I guess, more of a hands-on approach with, you know, pretty much the whole team instead of just, I guess, the DVs or just the defense. It allows me to, you know, be able to recruit all positions now and, and be more involved in the daily day daily uh, operations. Is there a good example of, of how you might be in, involved even more now in the daily operations, as you mentioned? Uh, well, I, I guess it just maybe me having more of a blueprint on the guys that we recruit, you know, not just from defense, but from all positions. And, you know, it's, it's I mean, I, I get helped out, you know, in recruiting just even DBs from every guy here. So, I mean, me and Coach Nivar, we work hand-in-hand hand in that operation, but at the same time, you got guys on offense that help us. So it's only right that I can do everything to, you know, help them. And, you know, it's a group atmosphere here when it comes to recruiting, and, you know, we do everything together. So I guess from that standpoint, it's hard to really say what you guys will be able to truly see just from the standpoint of COVID and everything else. Once that slows down, you know, hopefully you get a chance to see. Sure. And just lastly on that, what is that, that title, that promotion, what, what does it mean for your long-term future here? Is it, and does that kind of change the way you look at the big picture in any way? Uh, I mean, I, you know, every coach, you all have, you know, goals and everybody has goals and everybody grows up one day wanting to be a head coach. And right now, you know, I want to make sure that I'm more in the moment. You know, I don't, I can't live too far in the future, but the moment right now is to make sure I'm the best DV coach in the nation. And, you know, once the time comes, hopefully I get a chance to show everybody that I'm the best defensive coordinator. And once the time comes, the best head coach. But right now is definitely to show that I'm the best DV coach in the nation. Very good. Well, let's turn to this recruiting class. Obviously, it's been said many times, USC uh, had a down year in 2020, ranked number 71 in our rivals rankings, all the way up to number eight this year in this 2021 class. The final result, and I know it's not totally final yet, but let's just go with where it's at now. The, f the final result, how does that compare to what your expectation was when you started this process a year ago? Uh, well, I mean, the final result, I, I want to be first. So, you know, my expectation is I feel like, you know, fell short because we're not first. And so, I mean, it's still the same mantra. We're going to make sure we take back the West, and once the West is taken back, we're going to make sure we take back the nation and make USC back, you know, where it belongs, and that's on top. So until that, until we do that, you know, it, it pretty much it hasn't fit the criteria where I want us to be. And then, you know, once we are back on top, it's all about doing it over and over again. So, you know, we're nowhere near where I, I want to be yet, but I see us working toward that goal. Early on last year, before things got rolling and the commits started coming one after another, were there some obstacles that you, that you faced just because of where things were at the previous year and, and where things were at overall with the program that you had to kind of overcome and uh, in terms of perception and, and selling guys to be a part of this? I mean, there's obstacles you're going to see every day. And, I mean, there's obstacles here, there's obstacles you're going to see no matter where you're at. I mean, everybody faces obstacles in life. It's not about really the obstacles. It's about what you do to overcome those. And, you know, everybody has the same problems and the same issues. We, You know, every team in the nation was facing COVID. So, it's, it's not nothing that you can ever use as an excuse. It's all about the things you're going to do to overcome those things. And that's, 
you know, that's where we're at right now. That's making sure we have a plan going forward to make sure we can overcome anything, the obstacle that may come up in front of us. So, so I talk to all these guys, and uh, especially the guys that you recruit, I always ask, what makes Dante a special recruiter? How does he connect so well with you? And I guess the, the common theme is always just that, that he's real and, and he tells it like it is and, he, and he's straightforward with us. I want to get a little more deeper into your process, though. Kind of as best you can break down what you've learned by doing this over the years and how you kind of put together your playbook and blueprint for, for being an elite recruiter. Uh, I mean, you just got to be willing to adapt. You know, uh, you know, people could say, you know, recruited a year and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I've, I've been in two different places in two years and, you know, pretty much the same result. So it, I guess the blueprint is making sure I'm able to adapt, making sure it's great people around me. And I, I do my best to be a great person around them. And I'm really honest. And, you know, it's all about this whole business is about relationships. So if you treat people well, people will treat you well. And I've been fortunate that, you know, a lot of people have looked out and treated me well. So it's only right that I return the favor and just be honest and open as I can with these young men. Let's use Corey Foreman as an example, the five-star DN, obviously the, the, the gem of this class. What's your strategy when you get involved in his recruitment? How do you kind of game plan and approach that from the very beginning and say this is how I'm going to win this battle and, and, and land this five-star guy here? You know what? Wait. With him, per se, I, I didn't even have a plan. It was just to be me. And, you know, everybody that was in the building, I mean, they did the same. So just for him to see how genuine we are and how upfront we were in the show, you know, everybody talks about the, the recruiting class. And to be honest, even when it comes to him, recruiting is, is over now for that class. It's all about what we're going to do to develop those guys. And that's the next step. You know, you could recruit them all you want. You could recruit all these five-star guys. But if you don't develop them, it doesn't matter. So we did everything possible to recruit these guys, but at the same time, during the recruitment, we show what we can do for them as far as development. So now it's about us to uphold our end and make sure we do everything possible to develop them, but at the same time, they need to uphold their end as far as getting their degree, working hard, giving max effort, and you know, and that's the stage that we're at right now. Most definitely. And just going back through his timeline, though, when did you actually get involved in, in a major way in his recruitment. I know you had a lot of responsibilities. You had to sign a, a DB class. You had to, you were helping out in a lot of areas. When did you really turn your major focus to Corey and, and trying to swing that thing? Uh, the day that I signed the contract to come to <laughs> USC. So that day you reach out to him. How's it go? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, the day it all happened, I, I kind of, it, it didn't really matter where I'm at. I'm one of those guys that no matter where I'm at, I'm going to recruit the same guys. So when I recruit a guy to a place, I would pretty much take you anywhere. So it was easy just to pretty much say, you know, I'm coming home and I'm going to be at home and I'm going to do everything possible to keep you at home also. And, you know, at first it was a little bit of cold shoulder, but like he likes me as a person and slowly but surely we both start opening up to each other. And next thing you know, we're going to be here together saying fight on. And what's your major message and pitch in that process but what's, what's the compelling thing, that the case that you can make as to why, hey, come come play for us, come play for me, come play at USC? I guess the thing is, no matter what he is on the football field, I'm going to treat him like a man first and football second. You know, a lot of guys, you know, they look at these young men nowadays, and they, all they see is football first. And I'm definitely a person that I see the man first, the young man first, and, you know, everything he's trying to accomplish. And then I see football second. And I think he saw that in me the whole time I was talking to him. 
and we've seen some of the stories come out about when he officially made the decision announcement. If you can, though, take us through that moment. When do you get the, the call or, or the heads up? When do you actually know this is happening? <laughs> I found out uh, when he actually committed on national TV with everyone else. And, you know, I guess it was a little bit of a delay from when he recorded to when everybody saw probably about like 30 seconds or a minute. That was a little bit of a delay from, you know, the, the uh, it being live. So right when I heard it, he already had said that. So I guess, you know, it was a couple minutes later and I called him right away and he picked up and he was laughing on the phone telling me how he had me and got me and had me all fooled. And, you know, from that moment, it's been back to how it was, I guess, two weeks prior, you know, where we were talking every day and FaceTiming every day and continuing to grow our relationship. So he goes dark on you for a little bit leading up to that, and, and you don't know what he's going to decide? I don't, you know, because he had he, – I guess he signed uh, the, the night before the last day you can sign, which is the 17th, so he signed that night. But I didn't know that. You know, only – you know, Coach Hill knew and Gavin Morris knew. I did not. So at the same time, every time I brought Corey's name up to either one of those guys, you know, they almost like – act like I was speaking a foreign language. They almost avoided the subject because I guess, you know, Corey had told them that everybody can know, but don't let Dante know. So those two, they did a good job of making sure they held the secret from me. And I was just, you know, every day, no matter what, you know, it was a guy I talked to every day and then he kind of went dark where I was sending 10 text messages. He may reply with one word. And this wasn't the person that, you know, I had grown to know over the years. So it became a little frustrating, but I mean, shoot, frustration happens in everything. All I cared about was making sure that he was here and, and you know, he was staying home. That's so wild. I mean, I, I was intrigued as to how he was going to keep it a secret in general, but I didn't think he'd be able to keep it a secret from you. Yeah, I didn't think so neither, but he did. <laughs> he did a good job of it. You know, not officially, but at what point in the process did you feel good about where things stood and you, and you thought it was probably going to be a win for you? Uh, You know, I, I guess – the month of December, I, I kind of started feeling good about it, uh, just for what we were doing on the football field and how Vic had the D linemen flying around and they were making plays. And, you know, Corey could see himself in our defense. You know, Todd did a great job of making sure that he showcased the scheme to him. And, you know, it, it, things were looking good from that standpoint. He had a great relationship with Coach Helton. You know, uh, Gavin was always talking to his family. So it was a lot of people involved in making sure, you know, Corey came here. So, I started feeling good because it was he was receptive to multiple people. It wasn't like he was only just talking to myself. He was talking to multiple people, and his family was talking to multiple people. And they were open and honest with us about the process. And that's when I really started feeling good about the direction things were headed. And it's easy for us on the outside to say, well, they get Corey. That's going to have an impact on other guys. Does that really manifest? Is that true? I mean, how, how does landing a guy like Corey Foreman impact other guys you're going after? Uh, I think it definitely helped uh, in Sierra and, and Rajon. I mean, if you're a top-notch corner, who would not want to play with, you know, uh, a D lineman that's going to get to the quarterback every second? And literally the quarterback's going to have one second before he's on his head to throw the ball. So it only helps you make plays. And then Rajon, it helped. I mean, you have another guy that's highly ranked, highly recruited as yourself. And to have him basically be able to play on the defense in front of you and know that this isn't somebody who's just going to leave after the season. He has to be here three years minimum, just like you. So, you know, just to come in and build the defense the right way in this particular class and add on to some of the great players we already have on this team, I, I think it definitely does help. I mean, it's already starting to pay some dividends in the 22 class just by 
know, he's a big name guy and all these guys now, they go to these camps and they go, you know, seven on seven teams and everything else. They get a chance to know each other. Because I think a lot of people forget that Corey even played, you know, tight end on seven on seven team. You know, he probably didn't catch very many passes, but he still was out there all the time with a lot of the skilled guys. And he's already going to these big man camps with all the O-line, D-line. And so he's someone that a lot of people know. And, you know, if you get a chance to meet Corey as the years go by and get a chance to be close to him, he has a great, you know, uplifting personality. So I can see him, you know, guys gravitating towards him. You mentioned Ray John Davis. I want to go there next. So you come in last February. He's already committed to LSU. And like Corey was committed to Clemson, but he stays committed all the way up, up until December. How do you approach that with him? Did you always feel there was a chance? Or did, was it really more in the last few months where you thought there was a real shot to, to sway him? Uh, you know, to be honest, I didn't really feel it was so good of a chance until signing day came and he did not sign. Yeah, That's that's when I felt that it was a real a real chance because, you know, it kind of pretty much we signed our whole class already and it was only a couple guys that we were still targeting. So when you can focus all your attention to show someone, you know, why USC is the right place for them, I mean, we have a ton of things to sell here. So when you're able to just keep presenting that to someone, I mean, sooner or later they're going to be, you know, they're going to become receptive and open up. And, you know, he did that. You mentioned uh, kind of team recruiting and everyone pitches in. And I understand that Tyler Orlando may not be the initial point of contact for a lot of these guys, but I'm curious as to what his involvement is with a lot of these defensive guys during the recruiting process? Uh, well, definitely when it comes to, you know, he's always presenting a scheme and he's high energy. And, you know, a lot of these guys, I mean, they want to get to know him. And he does a great job of making sure that they get a chance to know his personality. He's going to be edgy. He's going to be, you know, do everything possible to help these guys, you know, make their dreams come true. And, you know, everybody comes here and say the NFL, NFL, NFL. But some of these guys is not doesn't become a reality. So Todd is definitely one of those guys that's going to work hand in hand with you to matter no matter what your dreams and aspirations are. And that's how our staff is. You know, we look at a lot of these guys a lot more than just like I say, football players, and a lot more than you go to the NFL. We throw you to the side. That doesn't happen here. So that's why you know you see players you know from the past why they love Coach Houghton so much because he's a like very 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 genuine man. So and that's hard to find in this business. Well, we have to talk about this DB class that you and Craig Nivar signed. Six four-star DBs, three cornerbacks, three safeties. Just filled a major need and did it in a, in a huge way. Take me through the guys, at least the cornerbacks, and, and what stands out to you and how you see them fitting in to the scheme. Uh, well, I definitely see uh, Sierra, you know, a, a playmaker and, you know, a guy who has, you know, multi-talented and the sky's still the limit. You know, a lot of these guys in California get a chance to play their senior year. So, you know, that definitely hurts their development. But Sierra's definitely one of those guys who constantly was always working out still, even though, you know, there wasn't a season. And as some years go by, he's only going to add strength where I think we're increase his power as far as his speed. He's already, you know, a, a, a 10 hundred meter type guy. And he's only going to get faster. He's only going to get stronger. And, you know, he has quite a bit of a length. Like I joke around even with uh, – OG and always told him that Sierra is already bigger than him, which, to be honest, I, I think he already is. I think he weighs a couple pounds more than him, and he's a little bit taller and has a little bit more length. So I'm hoping that he's a guy that can, you know, grow into that type of role, and you know, he's replacing, even taking OG's number. So I'm looking for big things ahead of him, and I'm, I'm sure that you know his family and everybody else is expecting the same. 
So um, you take a guy like Profit. I think Profit is a lot bigger than what a lot of people think. You know, uh, you look at all these little recruiting sites and they have Profit at 5'10", but Profit's six feet. So I, I think that actually helped me a lot as far as guys, you know, as, I mean, he's ranked high and everything else, but a lot of schools probably didn't recruit him that would have because all they saw was that he was 5'10", and he's not 5'10". So, and I've seen that from way back when he was younger, he was already taller than that. So for for that to actually, you know, help and him be able to come to USC, I think that helps because it's another well-rounded, you know, young man. He's going to be high in academics and, you know, he constantly wants to learn and he's focused so much at playing running back that I think the sky's the limit for him at DV because he, now he's going to get a chance to truly focus on his craft. So once he gets a chance to do that, you know, with everybody that's in his building, he's going to develop a lot more as a player. And then you take a guy like Jalen Smith, we see him playing nickel. And Jalen is a, you know, pretty much he's a ball hog guy. He's Mr. Do-It-Everything. But I think people forget how young he is. So even though he, this is his 12th grade year, Jalen's really supposed to be in the 11th grade. So he's going to do his whole pretty much freshman year here in college and still be 17 years old. Wow. So, so no one has seen, you know, this is the year when now so many guys are a lot older than the grade they're in. This is a guy that's a year younger than the grade he's supposed to be in. So yeah, I, I think he's still going to develop a lot. And, you know, he has a huge wingspan again. He has big hands. So he's going to develop into something that we haven't seen in a while just from the standpoint of he's nowhere near as silly. And those all three of those guys, I think they have major rooms for improvement. And neither one of the three played football their senior year, so I think it's going to help. Great stuff. And by the way, I heard your little dig there, all these little recruiting sites. I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> no, not like that. No dig at all. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. I just, I, I, you know, they got him at five ten, and at first, I mean, to be honest, five ten, even you know, that would probably even scare me a little bit. Luckily, I had seen him in the past and you know i even made him just to make sure i made him stand up taking pictures in the doorway i was like i hope this dude is not five ten but you know he's six feet and it's a lot of people that i have in northern california that i trust that he's around so that that yeah. definitely helped me i wanted to ask about profit because it that was one of the more interesting commitments that you got where Everyone I talked to was even surprised. You know, like there was almost no buzz about it happening until a couple of days before. I think everyone thought he was going to Oklahoma. There were some other schools involved. How did you kind of pull that one off without it being expected by everyone, so to speak? Uh, I think your greatest work is always done in silence. You know, if everyone knows your every move, then it won't be no buzz at all. It can, you know, turn out bad for you. So it was something I was definitely, you know, chipping away and working at. And, you know, one thing I will say about Profit that I was, you know, greatly surprised and happy about was once Profit committed, recruitment was shut down. He didn't look at no one else. He didn't consider no one else. So that's something that even as a coach, like, you always remember. And, you know, it was no headache with Profit. It was no problems, like, family, full-fledged on board, everything. So, it you know, Prophet was definitely one of those guys that, which I was even shocked when he committed, just how much he shut down recruitment. And, you know, it was almost like when he committed, he signed. Wow. Well, just a couple of last ones for you real quick. Really appreciate your time, Dante. Looking at that cornerback spot where you have to replace Elijah Griffin, first of all, were you surprised that he chose to leave this year? I think he was the one draft guy that, that people were maybe a little surprised by his decision. And then 
how do you size up that position right now, and and what's your expectation going into the spring? Uh, no, I'm not shocked at all because that was definitely something that he talked to me about when I first got here. He, you know, he basically told me if he develops the way I think he can develop on the field and plays the the right way when it comes to technique and you know get adjusted to the schematics and everything of this year and the things we were asking of him. You know, he's always had the the dream and aspirations of going to the NFL. I mean, this is a guy who's I mean, he's had injuries in the past. He played his whole senior year with an injury. He played his freshman year here with an injury. So, you know, some of that always weighs in on people. And right now it's hard to find guys that can play man-to-man, and he definitely can. So it didn't shock me. I think what shocked me more was at the end of the season, he actually was considering coming back. Mm. So I'm flipped the other way. And, you know, he chose to, you know, go into the NFL, and I'm always here for him. Shoot, he could come here every day for all I care, and I could train a one-on-one. So, you know, that's that's once you're a guy that that plays for me is is family. It's not like you just play for me and you just go on. Like me and him are going to be tied together for the rest of our lives. So, you know, anything he needs from me, I'm always going to do everything possible to help him. Because all I care about him is making sure, like I say, he achieves his goals. And I'm just, you know, another person, part of his journey that's here to help him. And I guess to go forward as far as season out the position, I, I only expect us to be better. I don't expect us to be the same. I definitely don't expect us to be worse. I think, you know, now we're going to get a chance. I mean, last year we didn't have spring football. We couldn't do things until camp started, even doing one-on-ones. So the state of California, the rules are a lot different than everywhere else. Right. So you take some of these schools we were playing against, they were already doing all summer 11-on-11 stuff and one-on-ones and being in, interact. I mean, it was more than the state of California here. We were cutting the even the DB group in half to be on the field at the same time. So a lot of these guys, like, we were so far behind in development. Then you take someone like, you know, Isaac Taylor, who he had knee surgery. He didn't come back even until camp started. So we we were behind a lot when it comes to development. They were learning on the fly. And every week, I mean, it's hard to learn when it comes to during the season because you're more getting ready for an opponent than being able to get yourself prepared to get better. Now, you know, it's pretty much changed. It's flipped. You know, we got Coach Steiner here. He's doing a great job with the guys already down down there working out. And, you know, we're gonna ha- we're looking forward to having the spring football and the summer and everything else, just being around the guys. I think, you know, I think they're going to grow drastically. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, great things being on that field this year. Is ITS the favorite there at that field corner spot? Uh, you know what? I would say is it is my favorite. So even like when it comes to Chris, like we're we're starting over from square one. The best man will play. The best player that I trust is the player that will be on the field. Good deal. Well, I have to close with with this last question. Uh, looking at this recruiting class as a whole, who do you think is is the most underrated guy that you all signed? The one that's not getting a lot of talk, but but you you see in a much different way than maybe the public does. Uh, you know, it's quite a few guys. You know, I look down there and I see guys working out, and I see uh, Michael Jackson. I see the way that he's grinding. So that definitely be a guy who I, uh, you know, look forward to, especially you know, right now a receiver. The way that you know we throw that ball around. So he's he's someone I see right down there right now working out, and he's a little bigger than what I think people expect. So he's more of that six foot, two hundred pound range. Uh, I mean, I I just see a, a lot of great things from a lot of these guys coming up. Just from a standpoint, it's going to help us from depth. Depth issues and everything else so i think we addressed the issues that we need on this team and the things we didn't we were able to go out to the transfer portal and pick up some guys so 
you know, I really can't pinpoint just one guy per se, but I, I just see the guys that's already here and how they're grinding, how they're working out. The young safeties are all here. They're all working hard. So, you know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. Awesome stuff, Dante. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. All right, much thanks to Dante Williams for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed that. I'm sure our listeners did. Lots of great insight and anecdotes. And we're going to give you even more insight as we bring in our next marquee guest, Rivals recruiting analyst Adam Gorney is back on the program. Adam, how's it going? Great, Ryan. I want to talk 2022, but I want to close the book on this 2021 class one last time with you and just hit some high points. And We've talked about each of these commits as they've happened. We do our commitment analysis series where you give your scattering report on each guy. But let me go back a year ago. USC's coming off the, the tie for 71st in the recruiting rankings with Louisiana Tech. Uh, they've just hired Dante Williams, though, so you know things are kind of changing. What was a reasonable expectation for you at that time for this class? Yeah, it it, it was kind of a confusing situation because I didn't know if uh, – so I, I was pretty sure USC wasn't going to be in the 70s every year <laughs> just because kids still want to play there. Um, but I was wondering how much, you know, how much luster was off of uh, off of the program, and it looks like it's right back on. And so, um, you know, Oregon is still going to recruit very, very well. And that is definitely an issue that USC has to tackle and, and at some point defeat, um, if they're going to win PAC 12 championships regularly, this, this conference is definitely shaping up to be an Oregon USC battle every year now. I mean, if you look at the recruiting rankings over the last three or four years, so those are kids that are on the team now. Um, and especially in 2021, it was stark. Um, Oregon and USC are just recruiting at a level much, much higher. So, you know, I I was wondering, um, can USC bounce back immediately? Can they start recruiting in the state again? And and they they sort of weirdly took 2020 off from doing that. Um, And that was a big miss because it was such a good recruiting class in state. Um, But they came back strong. They did an incredibly good job in 2021. Dante was a undoubtedly a huge factor in, in that happening. As everyone knows by now, uh, all the way up to number eight in this class, uh, just loaded with four stars and, and uh, 10 of the top 25 in-state guys, 12 of the top 30. Overall, who are you most surprised that they ended up getting? Well, you know, Three months ago, it looked like Corey Foreman was headed elsewhere. It looked like Ray John Davis was sticking with LSU. Um, it would have been very interesting to see if Elias Ricks actually did transfer to Ohio State, which was very close to happening, if if Ray John Davis would have followed him there. But um, I think I think the quarterback situation is very interesting in not dumping Jake Garcia, but certainly making it clear that uh, they were going after quarterbacks in this class, and if he didn't like it, he can go elsewhere. And then, you know, the situation of talking to Corey Foreman about, you know, going back to Clemson, which with that late Clemson visit was an interesting situation. LSU and Georgia, especially LSU playing with Mason Smith was an interesting situation, but getting him and then getting Rajon Davis after he decommitted from LSU, it was pretty obvious that he was going to end up at USC, but just getting him to decommit from LSU was, was a big deal too. So I think, those two situations were the most impressive things and, uh, or the most interesting things. And then really the most impressive thing is the defensive back class. If 
two or three years from now, we're going to look back on these guys. They're long, athletic. They can run. They can move. I think that's going to be a, a big talking point of this class in the in the next couple of years. They didn't have many misses, but obviously a few guys that would have liked to have added to this this class overall. In your eyes, who was the biggest miss, the biggest one that they weren't able to reel in? Hmm, that's a tough one because I'm going to have to look at the state rankings. I'll give you my answer first, and then you can you can uh, think about where you stand on it. To me, the, the biggest miss was Kingsley Suamatea, uh, which, which I'm sure I'll just mispronounce until the end of time, but that's fine. Uh, it, it's really the, the one void in this class. They, they do sign three offensive linemen. They do sign two offensive tackles, including four-star Mason Murphy. But I think if they had added a guy like Kingsley to that mix, then you're looking at this class and saying there's really no holes. And I know the outside perception was that it was Oregon all the way, but USC really felt they had a chance with him and, and thought it was a lot closer than, than maybe the perception was. So that was a big miss. Uh, the one who was closest to actually being in this class and then wasn't was Aaron Armitage, the four-star DN from New Jersey. Uh, the night before, the word was he's he's committing to USC. I even talked to his high school coach that morning about his USC commitment. And then I get a text a couple hours later saying, uh, don't print that story yet. He may be changing his mind. And, and he goes to Stanford. So that was the guy who came the absolute closest to being in the class that wasn't. And a lot of that was not being able to get him on campus for a visit. There was thought he might even have committed back in the summer if he'd been able to take his official visit. wasn't. So those are my two answers. But as you've had a minute to think about it, where do you stand? Yeah, Kingsley, I don't know, man. I think he was always going to Oregon. Um, I mean, when you work out with Penny Sewell and you go to Noah Sewell's high school, you're – you're going to Oregon. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I enough. Think, I think that was a stretch and uh, very hopeful for USC. I think if there is a criticism, it's letting those wide receivers go elsewhere. Um, Troy Franklin is a dynamic, long athlete who's could really be good at Oregon. Really good. Xavier Worthy is a kid who's super fast in the slot and could be really dynamic. Bo Collins is a kid from down the road who's a big body and, yeah, I you know his his old high school quarterback is at Clemson, but uh, you know Bosco is 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 ten miles from USC's campus, and letting those guys out, I think in the long run, um, you're going to have talented kids on USC's offense. You're going to be able to have skill pos- skill position players, but this was a loaded wide receiver group. Kyron Ware Hudson getting him to flip from Oregon was big, um, but getting those dynamic athletes on the field, um, I. I think is going to be a is going to be a miss in the coming years. That's a good answer. I, I I buy that. Going back to the guys they did get, we'll call this the non Corey Foreman category. Who do you think is most likely to contribute immediately, aside from the five star DN from Centennial? Yeah, that's the that's the easy answer. Obviously, um, I would be very surprised if Corey Foreman standing on the sidelines next year. He's just too too much too talented. Um, but you know. I'm I'm gonna just go with the field here, and and these defensive backs, they're long, rangy kids. The kid that I think might actually be underrated is Prophet Brown. Um, he is a kid that's super dynamic both ways. He's gonna be able to step on the field in a bunch of different ways and contribute. I think Jalen Smith is another kid who might be a little bit underrated and can get on the field. He's a you know a physical kid who can definitely move around and play there um and i think that would probably be 
I'm, I'm just going to take the field and say somebody in at that defensive back just because they're long rangey athletic guys and that's what you need on the field sure uh, an area where fans would like to see someone contribute immediately is on the offensive line I mentioned they got three guys there the, the one that has the best chance uh, is Mason Murphy obviously the four star from Jay Sarah I really like what I've seen from him but again that's just in camp settings without pads on and just looking at his size and how well he moves what do you think is the reasonable expectation for how early Mason Murphy can maybe make an impact uh, on Saturdays? Yeah, I mean, he and Ty Buchanan, and, and Buchanan was a three-star, which, you know, a 5'8 and a 5'7 look uh, tr- you know, drastically different on a ranking spreadsheet. But in actuality, you know, Ty Buchanan is a 6'6", 290-pound kid, too. So, so he's definitely a big-sized kid. I like Mason Murphy. He's gotten much more physical over the years and much more comfortable than just being mean and, and hitting people and doing all those kinds of things. Maximus Gibbs will be a wild card. I mean, he does have um, issues to control his weight and keep that down. If he can do that, he is just insanely massive in, in the middle of an offensive line. Um, but I don't think he's kind of a day one guy uh, where Mason Murphy, you know, could kind of compete for that. He's, he's a kid who can move. He's got good, good length. He's, he's been more physical than he's been in the past. And so I think um, he would have the best opportunity, although I wouldn't count out a kid from Corpus Christi, Texas, to come to the Pac-12 and start, you know, knocking people around. <laughs> well, speaking of Texas, and I know this is a guy that you haven't seen in person. I didn't see in person. But I've kind of, whenever someone asks who's the most underrated guy in this class, this is my answer, Joseph Manjack, who was also actually the lowest rated guy in the class period. Uh, what do you recall from the, the rankings, meetings, and discussions uh, when he came up? I mean, his stats were just insane this year, whether it was receiving, rushing, even passing. Uh, what was kind of the conversation around him? We had him as a two-star for a while. He does get the bump to three-star, but is still the lowest-rated guy in this class overall. Yeah, and I think there's a decent chance that we're going to end up regretting that because, you know, there's kind of two sides to the coin there. One is... He's a great high school football player who does kind of a jack of all trades, um, but might not be a master of any. <laughs> so uh, we will see. I think he's a pretty talented kid. I, I like guys that are versatile, um, especially in a Graham Harrell offense. I think he's going to be able to be used all over the field. He's clearly a playmaker. He's clearly a guy that can go out and do a lot of things. He would, he was committed to Washington state. So he kind of wants to play in that spread system and get the ball in his hands and make things happen. You know, a lot of times those guys are the ones who emerge and become those productive, reliable go-to guys in an offense. So he might not have the name recognition of Kyron Ware Hudson, even of Michael Jackson, um, who for many reasons is a perfect fit at USC. But, um, uh, I think Manjack's a kid who sees the field. He's going to be used in a bunch of ways. They're going to get the ball in his hands. And really, at the end of the day, that's really the most important thing, uh, moving the chains and, and getting in the end zone. Well, speaking of moving the chains, let's let's go to the quarterbacks. You mentioned them earlier, uh, Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. What What, what is your intrigue uh, to see that position battle as it plays out this spring? Obviously, they're going to be competing for the number two spot behind Keaton Slovis, but Slovis has had injuries. He's missed time. It's it's very possible that one of those guys is on the field this year for USC at some point. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because there there is definitely differences in in the two and the way you know that they kind of 
not necessarily carry themselves, but but play the game, I think. Um, Moss has already been in the playbook for months. He probably has it memorized. He probably knows every single check down. Um, a very savvy kid. Very Josh Rosen that way, but without a lot of the attitude. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he uh, he's you know just a smart guy who's going to be able to do what his coaches want him to do. He's got arm talent, um, you know, makes the throws, does, does a great job. Jackson dart a little bit more of a wild card. Um, he's probably a better runner. Uh, he actually kind of looks for contact in the runs, which they might want to coach out of him. Um, getting hit from somebody in Utah is a little bit different than getting hit by Noah soul and Justin flow. So, I think that they're going to um, maybe coach that a little bit out of him, but he put up such great numbers and was such a winner when he transferred high schools that he's not going to back down from competition. He came into a class knowing that Jake Garcia and Miller Moss were in it already, two California kids, and he didn't seem to care about that. He wanted that competition. He wanted to battle and, and go for it. So I like that personality. I like that um, – aggressive style that is going to be interesting to see how it plays out uh, my one hesitation on jackson dart is he broke cam and cooper's numbers in utah cam and cooper can't break the starting job at washington state right. that's not to say dart can't but when we only re- rely on statistics it gets to be a little of a confusing game does his recruitment remind you of anybody else in the sense that he enters his senior season with no power five offers and then uh puts up some of the best stats in the country is suddenly very much in the national spotlight as one of the most intriguing recruiting storylines entering early signing days is there anyone else that comes to mind that kind of had that similar track yeah it's definitely different but i think dorian thompson robinson is a little like that in the sense that he was not getting national offers people thought he maybe should switch to wide receiver Mm. Um, and then just really emerged as a, as a senior. Jaden Daniels was a little like this too. He was um, really not getting like na- super national attention um, until his senior year and then just completely blew up and everybody wanted him. And he was kind of, uh, kind of being courted by everyone late until he, and until he picked Arizona state. So this is a, this is a very unique situation and it's almost like he, uh, he almost missed out on it. I mean, if Jackson Dart was playing in California, who knows where he would end up because he would have not had the opportunity to have a senior season to put up these numbers and get all of these, you know, awards and, and get to USC. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very unique situation. The 2021 class was unique in so many ways. Um, but Dart is definitely a good one who I wouldn't be shocked if he won that starting job. It's, it's a great point you make, and, and I sat with uh, him and his family in uh, Utah last month for, gosh, about two and a half hours just kind of going back through his story, and we'll have that in our USC Next Up series coming up here soon. But but he admitted like it, it, there was real uh, pensiveness and, and nervousness as to what was going to happen this fall, and if he didn't get a season, what does that mean for him? Is he, is he going to uh, an FCS program or a lower FBS program? And it, it, it makes you wonder – what other guys maybe did miss out and and could have totally changed their stock this season if they had had a season in California or in Nevada or other states like that. 
Oh, absolutely. And this is part of a much larger conversation about what's best for kids. (laughs) But, uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, there are, without question, there are kids in California who would have blown up this year across the board, not just a quarterback, who would have, uh, who would have gotten college scholarships, who would have had free education at, you know, very high end universities. Um, but they are sitting home and waiting. Club football definitely helps, but it's certainly not to the level of playing for a state championship at some elite programs across the state. And if this continues, uh, 2022 is going to be dealt the same fate. So, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. You know, Darius Clemens is a four-star wide receiver from Oregon who transferred to Utah to have a junior season just so he could, you know, get the experience and junior year is very important. And he picked up about 10 or 15 offers during the year because um, if he was sitting at Oregon, you know, twiddling his thumbs, sitting at home, he, uh, he would not have that opportunity. And there's no guarantee that he'll have a junior season in Oregon, which looks very unlikely. And then, a senior season, who knows what that looks like in the fall. Yep. Um, I do want to get to 2022, but uh, one more point I'm really interested for your your take on. USC's, we talked about a couple Texas prospects, and Ty Buchanan and uh, Manjack, obviously Brandon Campbell. It's been a major emphasis for this program, and the staff just keeps adding Texas ties. They hired Clay McGuire as a new O-line coach. Clay McGuire comes from the Texas Tech. Mike Leach tree was at Texas State most recently. But let me just run down the list of coaches they have with Texas ties, and then I want to know what you think about kind of how they're going all in on that area of things. Obviously, you have Graham Harrell, played at Texas Tech, coached at North Texas. Seth Dagey, another tight ends coach, played at Texas Tech. Uh, I mentioned Clay McGuire, Texas Tech, Texas State. Mike Jinks, longtime high school coach in the state of Texas, then got his break at Texas Tech. Uh, on defense, you have obviously Ty Orlando and Craig Niver were at Houston and Texas, and actually Nivar has been almost everywhere in Texas, and it just goes on and on and on. And then they hire Brian Carrington, who has spent the last few years as Texas's director of recruiting, and now comes to USC as in as a quality control analyst who will help out with the running backs. Uh, he wanted to segue in the coaching. USC gave him that chance, but he'll still be very involved in recruiting and obviously has recruited Texas as thoroughly as any of those guys. Obviously, Southern California is still the priority, and they showed this class that they treated that way. But what do you think of the investment they've made in Texas? Yeah, I don't know if you could just win. I don't know if you can win a national championship by just winning Southern California. So um, you could definitely compete. Uh, you could definitely be up there. Um, but when USC was winning titles and playing for titles and was one of the top five teams in the country, they were going to Florida for guys. They were going to Jersey for guys. They were going all across the country and they weren't recruiting nationally in the sense that some schools do now, but they were certainly targeting guys nationally with the lure of playing not only for USC, but playing in LA, playing in the Coliseum, all the things that USC has to offer. And I think that is the way to do it. Texas is very challenging recruiting territory. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is in there now. Uh, Jimbo Fisher. The other Texas schools. Oklahoma has a field day in Texas every single year. Alabama, Florida State, LSU. That is tough sledding. But there's so so much talent in the state. And a lot of it does want to come west and play. And USC is 
a very appealing place for some of those kids. So you're going to strike out a lot. You're going to miss. You're going to have very little chance to get some of those kids, but you're going to win some of those battles. And those kids, um, more likely than not, are going to uh, are going to be big contributors to your team. So obviously, Southern California is the is is the starting point. the The West is 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 crucial, but getting into Texas um, has has made a lot of people a lot of money and gotten them a lot of wins. So I think it's definitely a smart recruiting tactic. My thoughts exactly, and it's, we get the reaction on the board where people think that because they're putting this emphasis on Texas that they're not focusing on California, but that's not the case. I, I agree with you. I, I think if you're going to truly compete for national championships, you've got to do it all, and that's what they're trying to do. Let's turn to 2022 real fast just to close. Obviously, USC already has five-star cornerback Damani Jackson committed, a few other commits, Devin Brown, quarterback from Arizona. In your eyes, who are the most important targets, prospects that USC needs to get in this class to kind of keep things rolling like they have it right now? Yeah, and and it's going to be it's going to be important for them to kind of continue this recruiting um, uptick and not kind of dip back. I don't think we're I, you know so 2020 was very bad and that was 18 years into rivals history. Um, I don't think we're going to ever see a class like that again for USC for a very long time, if ever. Um, So, so keeping this recruiting momentum is going to be very important. Um, I think CJ Williams is a top target and has to be, he's a modern day kid. He's a local kid. He's, you know, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He loves Sark. He loves Ohio state. So keeping him home with his teammate, Damani Jackson is going to be huge. You know, these local kids and, and what's good What's good and bad about high school football in Southern California now is like there are like three or four high schools that have, uh, I'd say, 80 to 90 percent of the kids. So if if you go to Modern Day, if you go to Bosco, if you go to Alamany um, and if you go to St. Bernard, you're like, you know, one of the guys. I think Larry Turner probably wants to go to USC, will hold off. David Bailey is an intriguing outside linebacker prospect. I saw Ephesians Price Sock this past weekend, super long cornerback. Um, there's just a, there's like a lot of talent on that top end. But, um, you know, I think those guys, I think Junior Tui Halamak is probably that ship has sailed. So uh, looking elsewhere for linebackers will be important. But um, if you target those kids in state to start, I think that is definitely an interesting situation. And then I think the other one, in Arizona is Kion Grays, the receiver who just got an offer yeah. from USC. I think he got to battle Ohio State hard there. He kind of looks and fashions himself like a Chris Olave type, which um, he has definitely performed well in Columbus. So that might be tough to beat. But now USC offering with a quarterback from his state committed already. I think that's going to be an intriguing battle moving forward. One last question about the 2022 guys. Um, just want your your broad take on the O line and D line classes out west this year. Uh, obviously, Ernest Green is, is a, a top priority for USC, the offensive lineman from from Bosco. But I don't know that they have many defensive line targets in state at all. The guy I know they like is Anthony Lucas from Arizona. But what is the overall defensive line crop this year out west and in California particularly? 
Well, and, and that has been an issue and sort of a topic that we've broached numerous times. And it's, you can have all the skill players you want, but if you can't win in the trenches, you're going to lose. So that has been a problem. And that's why getting into Texas and getting into the Southeast and being more involved at IMG and all of those places are going to be, you know, has to be priority number one. If you look down the defensive tackle list right now, it's Tennessee, Texas, North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Georgia, Maryland, Alabama, Mississippi, you know, that's top 10 right there. All those kids will probably end up in the SEC or in the ACC. And that's tough to battle when you're, when you're dealing with second rate kids. So, um, you know, let's look at defensive end. It's Indiana, which is an outlier, but uh, Caden Curry, I think, probably ends up at Ohio State. Maryland, uh, Alabama leads for uh, Danny De- Dennis Sutton. Georgia, Florida, Florida, Texas. You know, I mean, you got a lot of guys um, in recruiting territories where they're locked in. So the situation, Ernest Green is probably the best offensive lineman. Um I think he needs to – I think he's an interior guy long-term, much like Wyatt Davis. Um, not as great of a build as Wyatt Davis, but uh, he can get there if, uh, if he keeps working at it. Defensive line is not outstanding. I think Zach Swanson is an interesting kid from Arizona. Anthony Lucas is an interesting kid from Arizona. Um, after that, it's, it's, it's kind of weak sledding. Good stuff. Well, hey, it's it's never week sledding when we get your insights on on the podcast. So as always, Adam, thank you very much. All right, thanks, man. So that's the show. Thank you very much to Dante Williams and to Adam Gorney for joining the Trojan Talk podcast. And most importantly, thank you for listening. We really appreciate the continued support of this podcast. It's a really fun outlet for us to get interesting guests and go in depth on everything that matters to usc football and beyond so thanks for listening um we'll keep dropping podcasts probably every couple weeks during the off season give or take uh just as as uh, good guests become available or as we have ideas for shows we'll obviously have max brown back on joining me for podcast and debating and discussing usc football matters Make sure you're on Trojansports.com daily. We take no off-season here on the site. Myself and Alex Simpson are hitting the recruiting side really hard. Um, We're constantly talking about USC football team matters. I'll start breaking down the position groups uh, well ahead of spring practice, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing I will highlight is our USC recruiting database for the 2022 class. Uh, we put a lot of time in the building this, uh, drew on a lot of insights and and uh, information sources to really spotlight position by position who are the guys that are actually relevant to USC recruiting in 2022 and where things stand. And in there, you'll it's broken down by position. You'll see everyone that we think is, is a major target. You'll also see all the other offers that have been made at that position. There's links to all of our coverage for each of those top guys. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of ranked, uh, in a combination of, you know, talent and, and what level prospect a guy is meshed with what's the actual viability. Are, are they in play? And it's a combination of the two. Um, obviously you can just go to the rivals recruiting rankings if you want to see a straight ranking of prospects, but 
you know, if a guy's not actually legitimately in play, then there's no value in him being at the top of our list for a USC recruiting uh, breakdown. So we really try and give you the best picture of where things stand, and we are updating that daily. So uh, uh, check it out. It's a very useful tool. And if you're not subscribed to TrojanSports.com, come join us. Uh, try us out for a month or two months or, or whatever is worthwhile to you and join our our Trojan Talk message board and discussions on there. Uh, we, we have a lot of fun. So we'd love to have you a part of our community if you are not already. And, again, thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll get back with you on this feed before long.